Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Here's something new and exciting. Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World is now on social media with uplifting slash mind-bending updates throughout the week. So please follow me on Facebook at David Sachs Spiritual Tools or on Instagram, David Sachs Spiritual Tools. I'm glad you're here. Um, I know it's not Hanukkah anymore, but how can we not talk about Hanukkah still? So so I'll just just tell you a couple of things. Um, Rav Frimer, um, that's the Eretz Svi. He was the, the Rosh Yeshiva Hachmei Lublin. That was the greatest yeshiva in the world before World War II. So, so Rav Frimer asks a question that I, I never heard anyone ask before. And it's sort of like when you, when you hear something like this, you just, you just remember all over again how infinite the Torah is. Because you're, once you hear it, you'll say, how did I go like my whole life without hearing this question? So we know that there are two ways to light the the menorah, right? You start with one candle and you light one more till you get to eight. That's that's Beis Hillel, famously, right? We want to increase in life, uh, increase in light. And then we've got the the other shita, the, the other way of doing it. That's Beis Shammai. That's starting with eight candles the first day, and then we work down to 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 one candle. And that's all about just showing the the, the oneness, the oneness of God in the world. And and um, many interpretations. But anyway, here's Ralph Frimer's question. You ready? Why don't we light eight candles every single day? Isn't that a great question? <laughs> Why not just light eight candles every single day? In other words, if it's all about the light, then we'll just have maximum, maximum light. You know, every single, every single day, maximum light, you know? So he says... He goes on to develop this idea, and he he points at something which is a very um, foundational thought about Judaism, Um, not just Hanukkah, just Judaism in general. And basically, you see, the world is not about this steady state system, like just eight candles, because you know, both of the other positions are, are Torah ideas. That you're either going up or you're going down, but there's movement. There's movement. And depending on how you look at it, there's growth. So, for instance, he interprets the, um, the uh, going from one to eight as God r- raising up the righteous, the downtrodden. So they're, they're just one candle to begin with, and God raises them up till they're eight at the end. So that's, that's one type of movement in the, in the world, the, the increase in righteousness. Uh, there's a, another um, type of movement in the world, which is um, God basically knocks down the haughty. So that's, that's the idea of eight becoming one. And, you know, um, those of you who are... Uh, well, we're sort of like uh, grown-ups in the 80s, saw the Soviet empire fall. That was, that was an amazing thing. And in fact, not, not just, not just in, in Russia itself, but in Romania and Czechoslovakia and, you know, in Hungary and in all of these places. It's just, it just fell. And you, you can't even imagine that it, it will never not be what it is. And then all of a sudden it's gone. Um, one of my favorite old-time stories, 
And it's funny, for Rob Frimmer brings this, but he brings it as current events, right? This went on in the in the 1920s, I guess. Um, and I heard this story from from uh, Rabbi Beryl Wine. It's a, it's a historical event, which is that Theodore Herzl was trying to get a meeting. You know, he's trying to form the state of Israel, which was, you know, the biggest pipe dream in the world. And, you know, by the way, we're learning all about dreams in the, in the Torah right now. Um, and just a beautiful teaching is that that in Hebrew, um, the way you say dream is chalom. And if you rearrange the letters of chalom, it spells lechem, which is bread. And I, I, I think that that's very beautiful. In other words, what do we survive on? What's our bread? What do we what do we get to the next day based on? And that's our dreams. And so, you know, Herzl had this unbelievable dream, which was like, let's just establish a state of Israel. You know, this is after 2000 years. And and he's trying to get a an appointment with a, with Kaiser Wilhelm of, of Germany. And and which is next to impossible. You know, he's just this Austrian journalist. I mean, he's got no standing and Somehow, after something like two years of trying, he gets a meeting with Kaiser Wilhelm. And Kaiser Wilhelm tells him that the only way this is ever going to happen, that there will be a Jewish um, state, like your own homeland, is if every empire in the world falls. (laughs) And you know what happened? Shortly thereafter, the British Empire fell, the German Empire fell, the Austrian-Hungarian Empire fell. The Turkish Empire fell. Can you imagine? Every empire in the world fell. And the state of Israel was established. So it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And that's this idea of movement in the world. And now let's, let's go deeper. Let's go deeper. Because... I saw Rabbi um, Moshe Shapiro, Oliver Shalom, he, he referred to this concept that I'm about to share with you as um, inherent existence. So I'm going to explain that in a moment. Inherent existence. So we don't believe in inherent existence. So let me, let me explain what that means. So here, I'm holding up my, my coffee cup over here. So if, if you believe that this coffee cup exists right now because it existed a moment ago. In other words, the reason why it's here right now is because it existed a moment ago. That's a belief in inherent existence. It's here because it was here. Okay? So we actually believe that God is creating and recreating the world every single moment. And that If something is here, it's only because God continues to will its existence, and that's why it's here. And so sometimes you have, like, evil being, like, manifest, but but that's, but that can end in in, in a snap. And and so, so the Jewish calendar, and this is all the same idea, the Jewish calendar revolves around the moon, whereas the nations of the world, their calendar revolves around the sun. Now, the sun is like a steady state system, meaning to say it's very, very consistent. It just, it just kind of keeps on going, 
Whereas the moon is constantly changing. It's going up, it's going down, it's disappearing, it's reappearing. And that is much more consistent with, with this idea that God is bringing reality into existence every single moment. Um, and so it's a very dynamic construct. Time for us is very, very dynamic. And of course, on a, you know, on a you and me level, just if you want to know, like, okay, these are all big ideas, I guess, but how, do, how does it affect me? You know, I'm just like, I'm just trying to get through the day. Like, what, you know, and the answer is, is that you're not stuck. That there's a very, very huge application to all of our lives based on this. You're not, you're not stuck. Because, because the world is being constantly created and recreated. So, <clears throat> with that in mind, I'll tell you something that uh, I just, um, you know, the ability to take yourself apart and put yourself back together, it's, it's big. Um, there's there's a there's a key word. It's it's one of the coolest words in the in the whole Torah. Um, it's uh, I believe it's chapter two verse four um, in Brachis in in Genesis, and it's it says Eli told us it's talking about um, these are the chronicles of of the creation of the world. This is these these verses are coming right after the the uh, chronicle of the first seven days of creation. Okay, and it says it uses this word. This is the key word. Behibaram. So, so Behibaram is basically means created. Like these are the chronicles of the world that God created. Okay, but Behibaram, um, the Zohar says if you rearrange the letters of Behibaram, it says it it spells Be Avraham. In other words, everything was created for the sake of Avraham. Um, you know, the Medrash even asks the question, you know, if God loved Avraham so much, how come he didn't put Avraham in the Garden of Eden? Why did he put Adam there? Isn't that a great question? Um, and he, the, the Medrash gives some answers. Um, but my question on this Behibaram, that if it's Be-Avraham, if that's really kind of the essence of that word, is I wondered why why didn't the Torah just spell Ba Avraham? In other words, why is the why is the name Avraham being spelled out of order? And and I'll just give you my own interpretation of this. That that the essence of a a really super righteous person, like a tzaddik, right, Sadekis, right, is they're able to take themselves apart and put themselves back together again. You know, it's like sometimes you're emphasizing this quality, so this will go first. Sometimes you're emphasizing that quality, and that will go first. Sometimes this situation calls for you to rearrange them. So, so in other words, Avraham is being spelled out of order to hint at this awesome trait of tzaddikim who are able to take themselves apart and put themselves back together in different ways depending on what's being called upon them in the moment. Remember, Reb Shlomo said in the name of the Ishbitzer Rebbe, 
The biggest question in the entire world that a person can ask themselves is, what does God want from me this moment? You know, that is the the most amazing question that will open up so many pathways in terms of heavenly service and and just being the best version of you because you know all of us settle into routines and by the way routines are great i i'm such a huge fan of routines i will go crazy without routines in fact the rabbi that i learned with says that all of life is developing good habits right that that's what it is but then you have to know like when to mix it up right you have to you have to be able to ask yourself what does god want from me this moment and be able to go in a completely unexpected direction you know one of my favorite all time teachings when i was um in high school um uh i learned that a line you know, just I'm talking about geometry right now. Uh, a line, when you draw like a line with a pencil, you, you tend to think of it as a solid object. It's a line, right? It makes sense. But geom- it, geometrically speaking, it's not a solid object. A line is an infinite number of discrete dots in the same sequence. In other words... In a line, the dot above it is not connected to the dot below it. And the dot below that is not connected to the dot above that. Each dot is its own distinct entity. But you've got so many dots next to each other that it has the illusion of being a solid object. Now, let me tell you why that's actually a life-changing teaching. Because let's say I'm on a diet. And now, um, you know, I can't, I can't control myself anymore. There's ice cream in the freezer and I'm starting to walk toward the freezer. And then I say to myself, "Ah, I really shouldn't do this. But then I say to myself, what can I do? I've already started walking toward the freezer. (laughs) In other words, in other words, this line to the freezer is a solid entity and I am a captive of this line, right? So I'm walking toward the freezer because what choice do I have? But if you understand that a line is made out of dots that are not connected to each other, you can pivot at any moment and you are not trapped. You can take two steps toward the freezer and then you can just walk away because you're not trapped. So with all of these things in mind, with all these things in mind, um, you know, I'll just tell you one more teaching on that subject because uh, I I think this this is very important for us getting through life successfully is, you know, sometimes, um, you know, we start to do something we don't want to do, and then we kind of feel trapped since we already started to do it. And uh, one of the deepest things I think I ever learned in the Chumash is the Jews leave Egypt, and then 
when they're out of Egypt, they're still wandering around in the desert. This is just before the splitting of the sea. This is, you know, the first few days after they've left. <clears throat> God tells Moshe, now turn around and head back toward Egypt. And the Jews start heading back toward Egypt. And then God says, okay, now turn around again. And I believe, it's my thought, but I believe that what God was doing was giving all future generations the strength that if they were, if you're ever heading back to your own Egypt, to have the ability to turn around and leave it again. You know, we we have that strength, and 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 don't don't let your Yetzirah trick you. That just because you know you're calling your drug dealer again, that you can't hang up after dialing the first three digits. You know. Doesn't mean you have to complete that call, right? So, so that idea of being, that idea of being flexible. What does God want from me in the moment, and the ability and the strength to be able to pivot and to turn? I think Yosef Hatzadik, right? Yosef, the master of dreams. I just want to tell you two kind of little chapters from his life. Um, one might be familiar to you, the other I think will be new. But this first one is just one of the greatest things, in my opinion, in the whole Torah, so we have to go over it again. It's, it's just awesome. So everybody knows that Yosef saved the, saved the entire world from starvation. Everyone knows that, right? So the question is, how did he save the entire world from starvation? So if you ask most people who know like a little bit, they'll tell you, well, he interpreted Paro's dreams and that's how he did it. Then he got elevated to this very high position and and he saved the world from famine. Okay, that's not an incorrect answer, but there's a there's a much cooler, better answer than that, okay? Which is that um why did Paro call him to begin with to interpret his dream, right? We gotta push the timeline back a little bit. And this is the remarkable story. Yosef is, you know, in prison and and he's kind of running the prison. It was like amazing. Like wherever Yosef went, like people just wanted to put him in charge of like the whole operation. He was like such an awesome like individual. So that happened when he was thrown into prison also. He was running the prison after a short period of time. And he's walking around and he sees two people who look bummed out. Now, think about it. If you're in an ancient Egyptian prison, I would imagine everybody looks bummed out on a daily basis. I cannot imagine that was a pleasant environment, right? And yet, Yosef sees these two guys and has the humanity the 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 awesomeness, you know, to go up to them and say, "Hey, are you guys okay? What's going on? Is everything okay?" And then they say, "Well, actually, you know something we had these dreams, and they really kind of disturbed us and then 
And then Yosef gives the interpretation, and then Yosef gets the reputation, and then Paro calls on him to interpret his dreams, and then Yosef saves the world. But why does Yosef save the world? <laughs> because he looked at two guys in an Egyptian prison and said, hey, you guys okay? Can you imagine? And I know I've told you this story before, but I got to tell you again, because I, I am I am resolute. I am resolute that this is how the world works, that this is how the world changes through these interpersonal dealings that it can be one-on-one, -on -one. just asking another person how they're doing. And then there are these domino effects from it. And, um, and the story that I just want to remind you of, because it's just so awesome, is about Eddie Jacobson and Harry Truman. And, and, and why was the state of Israel recognized by the United States when the entire State Department told Harry Truman, don't recognize the state of, of Israel? Because Harry Truman had a friend, this guy named Eddie Jacobson. And Eddie Jacobson just appealed to Harry Truman. <laughs> and that's what it is. It's these person-to-person -person contacts. And I'm telling you, we live in a society right now, which, which I, I like to refer to as a, the cult, the cult of celebrity, where, where there's this notion that unless you're a celebrity, that you can't change the world, you can't affect the world, unless you have some sort of following or audience or whatever it is. And it's simply not true. It's a lie. It's a It's a lie. It's, it's, it's always been these person-to-person -person expressions of compassion that have completely changed the world from the very beginning. And it's never not been that way. And we see it even into modern times. So, <clears throat> so that's, that's story number one with Yosef. And story number two um, is is something that I just noticed uh, this year. Um, and I'm going off a translation from Rabbi Ari Kaplan in the Living Torah. Um, but but it's it, it was really striking to me. Uh, and I'm going to paraphrase. I don't know if he actually used this phrase, but it, it was this was the this was the essence of it. It said that when Yosef looked at these two people. He wanted to know what was going on with his prison mates. And, or his fellow prisoners, like whatever phrase he used. But that was so striking to me because here you see Yosef put himself at the same level as them. He didn't try, he wasn't, I mean, you know, usually the more primitive a society is, or the more primitive a hierarchical structure is, the more it's about the person uh, on top dominating and oppressing the people below. And I can't imagine that that wasn't the case in this Egyptian prison, right? Ancient Egypt, come on, had to have been. And here's Yosef, who's running the prison. 
thought of himself as a fellow prisoner with the rest of these guys. Do you you understand? He didn't feel for his own self-worth and self-esteem that he had to be better than everybody else. So many, so many people think that I have self-esteem, I have value of, as a person to the extent that I am better than you. And it's like, why? 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 It's, it's so off. It's so wrong. We're, we're here to help each other. And, and, and the truth is, there is a competition going on, but it's not between me and you. It's between you and all of us and our own potential. That, that, is, that is the competition. There is a competition going on, but it's just to be the best version of you that you can be. Not to have to be, quote unquote, better than someone else. And it's just amazing that that Yosef Atzadik, one of one of the truly, truly, one of the greatest people that's ever lived ever, looked at these other prisoners and saw them as fellow prisoners. Isn't that incredible? It's inc- that's incredible. Okay. So I want to um kind of dip my toe in a thought that I think is kind of beyond me, but <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to try it anyway. I'm going to try it anyway, because I'm just sort of like struck by this and I couldn't really get to sleep last night. I was tossing and turning and I was just thinking about this one thought. So I'm going to share it with you. Okay. So, so, you know, it, it says, um, Eli Todos, Yaakov, Yosef. These are the generations of Yaakov. And then it says Yosef. The Torah's next word is Yosef. So it goes from Yaakov to Yosef. And then it doesn't talk about the other children, which is strange. Because it's starting off like saying, these are the generations of Yaakov. You should expect a naming of all of his, all of his children. And instead it just names Yosef, and then it just kind of goes into the story of Yosef. So, so there's a lot there, and you know, you know the the avos this this sort of this category of the our holy fathers, right? Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov really kind of ends with Yaakov, but it kind of slides over to Yosef, also. Ele todos Yaakov Yosef. Yaakov taught everything to Yosef. And and so, so what what I'd like to suggest is there are these two Yuds, right? The Yud of Yaakov and the Yud of Yosef. And you know in 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 our prayer books. Yud Yud is a sign of is is one of the names of Hashem, and <clears throat> it's actually a contraction of two names of God, the Yud Yud, which is the first Yud is the Yud of the Yud Kevavke, 
and the last yud is the is the is the last letter of another name of God, Adnus, Aleph Dalad Nunin Yud, which kind of stand for heaven and earth, you know. And so you had this 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 unbelievable bond between Yaakov and Yosef, Yud Yud, like spelling out this name of God. And they say, how did Yosef, how did Yosef get the strength to resist the temptations of, of, of Potiphar, right? Um, and I, I heard it described that it was like, like hundreds of lions tearing at Yosef. And they say, the rabbis teach that he saw this image of his father before him. You know, it was like this, the the yud of this world, right? Because Yosef was like a master of this world. He was running like the biggest empire. And he was holding on to this heavenly aspect of his father, right? But also his father in heaven. And so he was able to keep his tzelem elokim, this, this image of, of, of godliness that was within him without, without being thrown, without being corrupted. And <clears throat> to do that, you really have to be a master of dreams. And um, I want to read you something. It's uh, something that I think is really, really amazing. This is uh, from this book, um, uh, Evan Shlomo. It's uh, the commentary of Reb Shlomo Karlbach on, on Breshis. And, and he quotes a Zohar, and it says, the Zohar Kaddish says something very, very deep. After one comes two, after first comes nothing. Something else might come after first, but not the second. First means there is no second. Now listen to me, I want you to open up your hearts. If you wake up, if you wake me up in the middle of the night and you say, tell me fast, who is the first person you you love? The first person you love, I tell you. Then you ask me, who's the second? It's not the same thing. (laughs) After the first, that's it. The first has no second. There are certain things in life that are so deep that if it's not the first, forget it. I'm just giving you flashes, and I just want you to think about it. You know what a slave is? A slave is someone who has given up on that first. I don't have that first anymore. I lost it. I became a slave. A master has a first. A slave is somebody who has no first. A slave is always second. You know, friends, our whole lives are always about seconds, not firsts. We are compromising on so much, giving up, giving in. We really don't know what we want to do. We always do what has become our second choice. We never do what we want on our first choice. We're living in a whole world where everyone cuts down our first. Now listen to this. It's mind-blowing. The Medrash says that God is called first, Rashis. Israel is called first, and the Holy Temple is called first. 
God cannot be second. If God is second, it's not God you're talking about. Only first. If you, so to speak, ask God, who's your first? God will say, Yidin. You'll ask Yidin, who's your first? They will answer God. You know what the Holy Temple is? The Holy Temple is that place which connects you to that first. The destruction of the Holy Temple means that our first is a little bit destroyed. Why are we in exile for so long? We can't get it together with our first. Now I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Now listen to me, my sweetest friends. What is the deepest sign that you are connected to your first? The deepest sign is that you begin to grow again. Second and third don't grow. First, Gavolt does it grow. Yeah. That's, uh, that's just such classic, classic Torah. Classic Torah. You know, um, I, I gave this talk in, in, um, over Zoom, uh, for this group of people in China, uh, a few weeks ago. And, I'm in the process of um, translating these um, these films, these little one-minute films that I've made into like different languages. And actually, just this morning, I got the I got the Chinese translations for the films. And I realized I I thought, how am I going to translate these things into Chinese? And then I thought, well, I just gave a chalk in China. Maybe maybe I'll, I'll I'll ask the person if if they can recommend someone. So so I I. I asked this person, and she says, yes, I translate Torah into Chinese. That's kind of what I do. And I was like, wow, that is unbelievable. So I had a, uh, a follow-up Skype call with her the other day. Um, her name is Da'at, as in knowledge, D-A-A-T. Pretty amazing, right? And... Um, you know, we were just kind of talking about these translations and whatever, I was asking her a few questions. And then she she said, I have a, a question. And I was like, okay, you know, what, what's your question? And she said, you know, I've met some secular Israelis because she worked at the, uh, the Chamber of Commerce uh, uh, between China and, and Israel. And she said, these Israelis that I've met are very, very nice people, very good people. But how is it possible for a Jewish person to be secular? (laughs) And she's, you know, she's learning classic Jewish sources. They're they're learning Ein Yaakov, which is the Agadita of the Talmud, her her group in China. And, you know, I I asked a question during my... uh, talk to them and she answered with the Rashi. So they're like learning Rashis and, and Midrashim and pretty amazing. And she couldn't fathom, how is it possible for there to be a secular Jew? So I told her, I said, you know, I, I didn't grow up religious. And, uh, but when when I was growing up in in the kind of the community I was growing up in, the Jewish community I was growing up in, 
they translated the word mitzvah um, as a good deed. And, and, you know, mitzvah is really, it, the root of it really means a connection. It's like this divine connection between you and God, between heaven and earth, you know, all these connections. But, but the, the, the translation of it being a commandment, it, it's not a horrible, you know, it, you know, you have to, you have to know who you're, who you're speaking with. It, it can be a turnoff, the word commandment, but it's not incorrect. <laughs> and I told her, you know, do you hear the difference between translating a mitzvah as a commandment and as a good deed? Like as a good deed, it's sort of like if you grow up that way, it's good if I do it. It's like extra credit, but do I have to do it? So I thought that was interesting, you know, that this this idea of this idea of sort of. Um, Obligation, it's a responsibility. These are these are heavy words, you know. But they're not they're not inaccurate. And and you know, it, it just so flies in the face of the way we're raised here in, a, in in Western society, which is as Rabbi Green puts it, there's two commandments for modern um secular society. One do whatever you want to do. <laughs> Two, don't stop me from doing whatever I want to do. <laughs> those are those are the two commandments that that rule society. But but the idea that maybe maybe this world isn't mine, doesn't belong to me. That's, that's, that's something else. That's something else. And it, it takes so much humility to, to arrive at that place. Um, you know, one of the greatest things I ever heard Reb Shlomo say is that, that when you're keeping the mitzvahs, you're dreaming God's dreams and you're praying God's prayers. And I guess so much of it goes back to my theme song, which I've shared with you a thousand times, which is that this world isn't finished yet. And I guess if you think that this world is finished, then, you know, you're just kind of arriving at a club of some sort uh, to while away your decades. And if you want to try to make it a better place. That's that's a nice thing, right? But I guess it's not necessary. But if you understand that that the world isn't finished yet, and that's why we were created to dream God's dreams, right? That we're on the job, that we're literally born on the job. And that the way to transform the world is not necessarily through these huge campaigns, but Maybe just if you see someone who kind of looks upset, just saying, hey, is everything okay? That will begin to see the culmination 
of all the beautiful things that have been implanted in the world from the very start. Okay. And and I'll just add one thing because you're you're reminding me of something that I actually how I really answered her. I, I told her before I told her what I told you, I told her that it it's because of the exile. That the exile has been very, very long and that so much information has been forgotten. And, you know, we've been persecuted and, you know, killed and it's 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 been it's been very difficult. And you know, I I think that's the real answer, honestly. And then and then you've got all these, you know, things that have um resulted from that, like like what I was saying to you about just the whole concept of obligation and, and whatnot. But um, but you're right. You're right, Tova, 100%, you know, because um, the light is there and the light's inside of us. And, and it's just, um, you know, it's just meeting that one person who is able to share it with you or kind of challenge you to, Look at things in a different way, and 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 then if you're if you're present, then you know everything can change in a moment. So just in terms of just understanding the you know the the greatness of of, of Yosef, just kind of inquiring how the person's doing. It's it, it it reminds me of a story. You know, anyone who knew Reb Shlomo knew that he was a master of greeting people. And he would he would just make everyone feel so fantastic, um, and 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 one of my favorite stories actually is it's in Holy Brother that there, there was this old bent over man walking down the sidewalk, and and the person uh, was there who wrote this up, and he saw Reb Shlomo giving him such covet, such such you know an enthusiastic greeting that by the time he was finished, the man was standing upright, which is. Amazing, actually. Anyway, um, so so I heard Reb Shlomo tell this story. He was on 72nd Street with this uh, acquaintance of his. They had just had breakfast at at a at a, uh, a dairy kosher restaurant called The Famous, where Isaac Bashevis Singer had breakfast every single day for for decades, apparently. <laughs> So it's not there anymore, but um, they were standing outside of it, and this woman was walking down the street, and they both knew her. And keeping in mind how Reb Shlomo would greet people, right? When um, when this acquaintance of Reb Shlomo saw this woman, here were his opening words to her: "You look terrible," right? And so you can imagine, like Reb Shlomo's like jumping out of his skin, right? And he's like, "No, no, no, no," you know, and he's giving her like covered and making her feel good and everything like this. Anyway, sometime later, Reb Shlomo sees her again and she says, you know, wish me a mazel tov. And he says, oh, mazel tov, what's, what's going on? She said, do you remember when you saw me that day? And he's like, yeah. She said, there was a man who had proposed marriage to me. And... When you saw me, I was on my way to his apartment to tell him, I don't need your charity. And after you said all those things to me, I began to think, maybe he loves me. 
And so I said yes. And we can, there are a few lessons in that for me. A, we can play that role in other people's lives. And B, maybe even more kind of, um, kind of like soul shaking, is that, do you know how many people we come into contact with on a regular basis who are at forks in the road in their own lives? And you know what? They're not telling us because they don't feel close enough to us. But it doesn't mean it's not going on with them. And how many people stare stare in a mirror before leaving the house and just feel awful about themselves? And one compliment, you look great. Really? Can 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 change can change which direction they're going in. So so that's that's Yosef and 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 it can be us too. It can be us too. Thanks for listening. We do this every week. So join in again next Sunday for a new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.